God is here. And I'm so glad to be here, too. I'm glad that you are. Um, you know, I was away last week. I was in Korea. South, not north. I was in South. Uh, God is still doing a great work there. I'm just blown away by the sheer numbers of the people in their church. The uh, church I preached in last Sunday four times um, is a church that if we filled this whole worship center from top to bottom all the way, it would take 20 services to get all the people in. It, it just shows you what God is doing. But I'll tell you, I'm just so glad to be back home and uh, to have the choir and our band and to have our pastor, high school pastor, Mark Fields, lead us in singing. Oh, Mark, and what a blessing. I, I just have to let you know, if you haven't gotten to know uh, Pastor Mark Fields and, and Karen, they, are, they, they love God, they love our church, and uh, they are such gifted people. I, I just can't wait to see what happens among our students through his godly leadership. So... It's great to hear him saying, uh, Pastor Jeff, you're going to have to sing sometime. No? No. All right. We have come back together today to look at what has to be one of the most personal, personal for me and I'm sure for you as well, topics that you possibly can talk about. Because I think for us as human beings, one of the hardest, one of the hardest things for us to deal with is loss, is loss. Uh, you get it in the childhood, Miguel and Carol, you'll see this with Caleb, with a, even a child when you take a toy away, the loss of that child is so frustrating and you'd almost think the older we get that it would be easier, but it doesn't get easier, does it? Uh, you grow up and this student, you know, you write your paper and you lose your homework and you go and you're so frustrated, so upset. Anybody ever felt that? And you get older and you're looking for the keys. You're in a hurry and you've got to get there. You're already late. Where are those keys? The loss of those keys just, just is so terribly upsetting. And it's just a, a thousand things. It's hard for us. Loss in this world is hard for us. But I'll tell you when the loss that we experience is of a person. Sometimes it's almost unbearable. Uh, you've all experienced this. I mean, I don't have to say much about it. Uh, that loss can be sometimes it's in our like in our Sunday school class or our small groups when someone simply moves away. Just that longing, that missing of that person. Sometimes when it's a person who who was once a close friend, and then there's a break in that relationship with your friend. You know how hard that is. I'm telling you, so many in our world and among us too, when it's been struggling with a marriage relationship and a divorce is setting in, the the pain is almost unbelievable. And as I've talked with you about a number of times in the series, um, when the loss is, is due to death, it, we can just be overwhelmed by it. You know when these things happen, uh, that the Bible has a lot to say about these things. One of the thoughts that I've had a lot is this, that one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is, is love. I mean, God himself is love. And in our human relationships, we're, we're bound together. It's a powerful thing, this thing when we love another person and love to be with that person. But I think I've written it for you here that love's power to enrich our lives is matched only by its power to devastate our lives, to embitter our lives when tragedy comes and we lose that person that we love. Well, today that's what the Bible takes up. And uh, we're going to be reading scripture. It's in John chapter 13. Uh, to get the context of this, and some of you already know, uh, this is the last day that Jesus has with his disciples. He's in an upper room and he's talking with them. We have five chapters 
of this, this very personal discussion that Jesus has. And one of the main things that he talks about is loss. At this particular time, when you get to John 13, 33, where we're going to start, uh, Judas, the, the betrayer, had already gone out of the room. So there were just uh, 11 of the people who were there. Uh, the, these, these people were just about to be engulfed by loss. So I want us to read what Jesus has to say to them. Let's stand because this is going to be our Father's word. And we're going to begin with John 13, verse 33. And Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am. You, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, to try to feel with what these disciples are feeling when, when, when you hear this, you've got to remember that uh, these 11 men who were there in the upper room with Jesus had already lost so much. Uh, many of them had had to lose their careers and their professions in order to follow Jesus. That's hard. Some of them have been, I'm sure, cut off from their friends because they're following this crazy Messiah. Some of them have been disowned by their families because they were following Jesus. When you read John 1 through 12, uh, by the time you get there, you find out that they've lost the respect of their community leaders who wanted nothing to do with Jesus or his followers. And even the religious leaders had already rejected them. They've really come to a point where at this stage, in that upper room, the only person they had left was Jesus. Now, you see, that would be a great sermon, wouldn't it? 
I could just get up here and say, what do you do when all that you have left is Jesus? He, he's worth it. You can live for him. That, w- that would be a powerful message. Until in the context of this, you, you find out that Jesus turns to them and says, in just a few hours, you will lose me too. I'll tell you, they were confused. They didn't know what to do. They were angry. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. I, I think the most distressing thing of all is the way that Jesus just keeps echoing this thing. It's uh, uh, going. I'm, I'm going. I'm only going to be with you a little while. You can't come now. You can come later. Doesn't it feel like a parent trying to warn uh, uh, his or her loving children that, that you've, you've got to continue. To, this, this isn't just haphazard. This isn't something that's happening outside of a purpose. You've got to continue on. You've got, he's just in language that I think is the tenderest in all of Scripture. You find Jesus himself turning to them and to us and just saying, My children, my children, I must go. So what we're going to do today, in the few moments that we have, we're going to look at these three disciples. It's, it's Peter, Thomas, and Philip. And how they handle this loss. Uh, we have a lot of therapists and counselors here at the Lake Avenue Church. And you know, over the past several decades, there's been so many studies done about grief and stages of grief. And I'll tell you, though it was written thousands of years ago, the Bible speaks to them. I mean, you're going to recognize these people. You're going to recognize their responses. You're going to see what they feel. You're going to feel it in yourself or you're going to see it in others as well. And I really just have one... Uh, goal for this sermon and that is when you face confusion or loss you will know what it means to trust Jesus to trust Jesus I can almost imagine some of you saying trust Jesus that's what this whole sermon is about you went to school all those years to get up here and just say trust Jesus yes so let's look at the first one um Responder number one is Peter. And the, the way that he handled this loss, this grief, is, is what uh, people would call denial. And I've called him Peter, the take charge guy. So that as you look at verses 36 and 37, you, you hear this sort of thing. Now, this, this can't be what you have to do. I, I want to go with you now. Kind of reminds me of when we tell our grandchildren, Chris, uh, tomorrow we're going to do something. And, and Brooke says, I want to do it now. Um, that's, that's what Peter says. And then later, I, I will lay down my life for you. I'll, I'll do it. I have a, a, something else that will help us out of this. Now, one of the things you'll notice in a time of loss or grief is what people call non-acceptance. You just can't believe that the bad news really has to happen. And, and, and so you, you just you say, for example, if a doctor says you or a loved one has terminal cancer, you just say, it can't be true, doctor. There's something I can do. I'll take more vitamins. Um, I'll go to a different doctor. I'm going to find a pastor who can pray better than my pastor. Something that we're going to do. And that's what we see here in, in Peter. Why can't I follow you now, he says. I, I know what. Instead of you dying, I will lay down my life for you. Then you don't have to go through this stuff. Now, as was so often the true case with Peter, he just couldn't admit his limitations. He, he, he couldn't say, I need you to do something for me, Jesus. I tell you what, I will lay down my life for you. Notice it isn't we. 
No, no, no. Those other people in church, they may be weaklings and cowards, but Jesus, I'll be there with you and I I can deal with this thing. I have a way that you don't have to go through all of that. Sometimes when I read this, I try to put myself into the shoes. I think, did Jesus have an understanding smile on his face when he echoes back Peter's very words and he says, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I, I thought if I were preaching to Peter, and I think there are a lot of Peters among us, I think here I would want to say, don't you realize that there are always times for all of us in this world where it's outside of our control. There there are always times in our lives when we really can do nothing and we have to learn to depend upon God. And Peter, you can't put Jesus into dependence upon you. You are dependent upon Him. Can you imagine? I mean, Peter couldn't even go to see the Father in his situation. He'd failed. He... He was impetuous. He couldn't even die for himself. He wasn't ready to meet God. Um, can you imagine, even for us, if, could Peter have died for your sins in your place? <laughs> no, no. We needed what Jesus would do, and he did as well. Peter could not see that God had a bigger plan in mind than he was able to recognize. He couldn't see that God knew what he was doing in the death of his son. So that Peter, Jesus, with, with all the irony, turns back and he says, Peter, before the cock crows, you are going to uh, fail. You're going to disown me three times. You see how Jesus answers the irony of this big uh, courage of Peter with, with the real truth of his cowardice. This, this devoted disciple, I'll be able to do this thing, would soon be seen to be a disloyal disciple betraying his Lord. Now this was going to be a hard lesson because Peter was going to be used mightily by God. And those of us who have failed, you, you need to know God has something he wants to do in and through us. But Peter would have to learn that the only way to be usable by God was, well I think I've written it for you here so you can see it, that God doesn't use people who have never failed. God doesn't use people who have never failed. So I was thinking about preaching this today, and I kept adding things. Or people who think we've never failed. And then I added one more. Or who pretend that we've never failed. See, Jesus doesn't love you and me for what we can do for him. He, He simply loves us in spite of the fact that we're weak and ragged. And then our ability really to be used by God is based upon the humility that, that Jesus was willing to die for us and then we're just so grateful that we're willing to tell others and God uses us in ways we never could have imagined. So, you come to Ch- Lake Avenue Church today. I know some people are relatively new uh, to a church. I don't know what you think of a church. So you hear people like Miguel and Carol talk about how they want to bring up their boys in the ways of the Lord. And, and, uh, and, and you, you sometimes will hear missionaries speaking and, and you, just, you, you think, I could never be that kind of Christian that, that's strong. Or, or sometimes you might show up at, at one of our Sunday school classes or at one of our small groups and you'll hear all of the people who've gone to the lake for many years were praying and using such eloquent Bible-like terms and we know where all the verses are and, all, and you think, I'll never be able to be like that. Sometimes you can even come to a church and look around at all of us singing the song, sometimes lifting our hands and, and you're just sort of dazzled by the spectacular nature of the halos all of us have on our heads. 
Well, I just want you to know, if you ever feel like that, Jesus is not as impressed with us as you may be. <laughs> he, know, he knows what we are like, and so do we. We are all people who have had to have this point where we just fall upon his mercy and find that he's ready to receive us. Do you know that? And that just have to learn at times, not, I'll do it, and, 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 and that's never going to happen, but instead say, Lord, whatever, I'm going to trust you. Because what is Jesus looking for in us as his followers? He's not looking for Peter to have to be perfect. He's not looking for a courage that nobody else has. What is he looking for? He is looking for people who trust him. He's looking for people who trust him and turn back to him. And that's the first thing that I want to say to you. What Jesus is looking for from you and from me today if you're facing loss or confused about what's happening in your life, is for you to turn to him and simply say, I don't quite understand it, but I'm going to trust you. And as you trust him, to wait for him, that's hard, isn't it? And as you trust him and wait for him, to be faithful until you see the glory of the Lord. Okay, that's the first. Peter, trust him. Okay, number two. It's Thomas, and the way of dealing with loss was anger, which is a... Stage in grief, isn't it? And I tried to figure out what I wanted to call Thomas. I was going to call him the angry agnostic, and then I recalled him the annoyed agnostic. And by agnostic, that just means I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. So maybe he's the angry annoyed agnostic. I, I, I don't know. So you see, Jesus says, all right, uh, I'm going to do something better than you can imagine. And you know where I'm going, and, uh, and, and you know the way to get there. And, and Thomas angrily says, no, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, I've got to get your attention here. Before you and I become too critical of our brother Thomas, um, I, I, I sort of like him, and I think there's much of him in all of us. I see too much of him in myself. Uh, he's often called the doubter, kind of his identity. Uh, I, I wonder if that's fair. I mean, he does doubt when you get after the resurrection, so that is a part of him. But I'll tell you how I think about Thomas. I think about him as that person that you just always know what he's thinking. He was a bold man. He was bold. If you look at John 11:16, when Jesus said, we have to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to die, he says, even if we must do, we're going to go with Jesus. So he was a bold and courageous man. But, you know, having lived all the years I did in northern Germany, for you of German heritage... Forgive me, but I think about him as so many of my northern German friends. You know, they, they, just, they just tell you what they think. They, they're honest about these things. So if everybody else is sort of smiling and nodding, then if he doesn't understand, he's not going to smile and nod and say, I understand, when he doesn't. I honestly think he just says what everybody else is thinking, but they're afraid to say it, don't you? So I'm pretty positive about Thomas, but before I become too positive, I've got to tell you, He is wrong. Because Jesus had clearly told him where he was going. At least three times and probably many more times. Jesus had said, I am going through death to the Father. I'm going to have to die to go to the Father. And he had told them our way, their way, to get to see God the Father. It was through faith in him. He had clearly said that to Tim, but but Thomas had never really seen it. Um, 
Now, perhaps the worst part about Thomas, I'll have to make this known too, is that he, he kept casting blame. It was really said, the reason why I'm struggling so much, Jesus, is you. You haven't taught us well enough. So you're looking out at us all here sort of mourning, but really, if you had taught us clearer where you're going and the way to get there, we wouldn't be struggling right now. It's really your fault. Blame casting. Have you ever seen that in yourself? Um, Pastor Jeff sent me an incredible video. He didn't even know I was going to be talking about this. It was about a, a woman. It was, it was really good. Um, who uh, the, the morning she was there was having a second cup of coffee and spilled it all over herself. So she was just a mess. And her first intuition was, it's my husband's fault. He made me stay up late last night. And the only reason why I'm tired and have to have a second cup of coffee is because of him. And that's why I'm sitting here as a mess. And my first thought, you know, well, yes, women are like that, but men never are. Until <laughs> I looked in the mirror and I thought, oh, brother, we're worse. Uh, isn't this the way we are immediately? We just can't own it. We, we've got to blame somebody else instead of saying, oh, no, I've got to deal with this. But Thomas, with anger, um, with that kind of blame casting, says this to Jesus. And my real question is, how does Jesus deal with us when we feel this way and when we get out of control and say things that perhaps we should never say? And the thing I love is, even though Jesus deals truthfully with him, he deals with such respect, such compassion, such understanding. I'm just gripped by what I see, and I think it's the thing that you can see. Because it would really be good if you and I never had a time when we were angry or, or blaming God or blaming anybody else. But sometimes when that happens, really the best thing to do in a relationship with God is to tell him what's on your heart. Every strong believer I see throughout the entire Bible will sometimes read the book of Psalms. How David constantly just opens up fully his heart. Because you've got to know that, that God is not going to be blown away by the force of your arguments against him. And the other thing I love is, and what we see here, he's not going to cast you off. Because at some point you may say some things that you shouldn't or that you have doubts. Now Jesus does deal with him Truthfully, He does deal with him truthfully in this situation. And, and actually, it's, it's this angry, blame-casting response of Thomas that brings about one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way, Jesus? And he turns to him and says, Thomas, I am the way. It's powerful, isn't it? And the paradox of the whole thing. I am the way. Spoken by one whose way was going to be a path of death that only the worst kind of criminal would have to take toward a cross. I am the truth. Spoken by the one who is going to be put on that cross because of lying witnesses. I am the life. By one who in the short term is going to be seeing his corpse in a tomb with a government seal over it. How can he be those things as you look at it only in the short term of the loss, right? But victory would come. Jesus would go through that death to a resurrection. Making possible eternal life for you and me and for Thomas as well. Because the way, what Jesus is trying to say is, the way that I am to go, Thomas, is not the way that you have to go. I am going that way so that you can come through me. 
The cross is my way. I am your way to the Father. And because Jesus was willing to bear the punishment for our sins by going through death, we have the opportunity of going through Him and finding eternal life. Hallelujah. So that He declares to you and me today, as clearly as He did to Thomas, if you wonder, I am the way to God. See, Jesus' main call to Thomas is the same one as it was to Peter. You've got to trust me. You've got to believe in me. Your faith has to be in me. No one can come to God. No one can come to the Father. But by me, you come to the Father. Your your problem, Thomas, isn't so much that you don't know all the details of the path to get there. Your problem is is you don't yet know me. And I, I just have to say, isn't it possible for us to go to church our whole lives? and know everything about things in the Bible and about religion, but have never truly surrendered fully in faith to Jesus and said, I am yours. Here is my sin. Will you take it? He takes it. Um, Here is my life. I will follow you. Now, all of us who have ever had somebody say to us, uh, Trust me on this one. You know there's a risk in that, right? There's a, what, what is the gamble in that thing when somebody turns to you and there's something you don't really want or don't want to do and that person says, well, just, just trust me on this one. Isn't the issue whether that person is trustworthy, right? Isn't that it? So when it comes to these huge matters of our lives, the question that we have is when Jesus says, trust me, Is he trustworthy? I declare to you that he is. Uh, I'll use the story at the end to drive it home. But it's the same thing he said to Peter. In whatever you are facing, learn to trust me. And that trust means learn to wait on me till you see more than you see now. And as you wait on me, live faithfully for me. Which brings me to the third response. I call it bargaining. The counselors, you know this, try to drive a bargain so that the bad stuff doesn't have to happen. And we see it in Philip. I call him the experience seeker. Jesus has just said, I am the way to the Father. And Philip turns to him and says, oh, good. Then why don't you just do that? Show us the Father, Jesus. That will be enough for us. This, this death and cross stuff, we don't like that. <laughs> because we might have to go through that too. Uh, but just show us the Father. Do a great miracle for us. Now, let me just ask you honestly, if you had those two options, uh, Jesus' option, seeing God through a cross, or, or Philip's, don't you think most of us would have voted for Philip's? That's a better idea. And this is what we so often see in times of loss. We try to strike a bargain. Oh, I, oh yeah, I see. Uh, I see where you're trying to go. Okay, well, I'll try to get to the same place. Yes, seeing the Father. You want us to see the Father. I can find a better way to get there than this way you're talking This bargain that he's talking about. What he's really asking for here is, is simply another uh, miracle. I mean, Jesus had done so many. He, he wanted some, uh, some uh, unmediated uh, experience of God beyond anything he'd ever had. Perhaps like a burning bush with Moses. If you're new to the, in the Bible, Moses hears God speaking through a bush. <laughs> Or, or like Isaiah, the young man who, who had this astounding vision of God in the, in the temple. And he's saying, just do that. And we can handle it. 
And so in that, um, what is Jesus going to say about, about this man? What, what Philip was unable to uh, grasp or see is this, that he wasn't at all ready even to meet the Father as he was. I, I think that if I had been Jesus, I would have just turned to him and said, Philip, you're nuts. You know you're not ready. You are a sinner and God is holy. You're not ready to meet God. You, you need something to happen in your life before you can see God. You're not prepared to see him. But, but Jesus deals with him just as he did with Thomas and Peter with such respect. And, and I love, look at verse 9, what he says. Uh, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Now that might not make any sense to you until you read the rest of John. In John's Gospel, when Jesus does miracles, they're called signs. Signs. And you know what a sign is, don't you? A sign points to something better than itself, bigger than itself. Like what? All right. Um, We have an exit sign. See it over here? Unless you're blocked by something. An exit sign. If a big fire breaks out, would you sit there saying, boy, that's a great sign. Sign over there. No, no, no. The, the greatness of that sign is it tells you how to get out, right? It points beyond itself. And so all these miracles, marvelous miracles that Jesus had done were really just things, temporary things that point to something far beyond themselves. And what they do is consistently, Jesus did only what God can do. And Philip had been there the whole time. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after you've been with me all this time, and verse 11 really drives it home, believe me, Philip, when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works of those signs themselves. Uh, But uh, Jesus knew the limitation of signs and wonders for people like us. He knew that when we're in trouble and we ask God to break in, and, and we need to do that, learn to ask, And God does break in and do miracles. But when that happens tomorrow, another difficulty comes. And what do we have to have? We've got to have another sign. It's got to be a bigger one. Instead of learning to simply say, God must be doing something here beyond which I could ever understand. Philip wanted that every every time, a new experience without any of the pain. I, I often call it a national inquirer Christianity. Anybody old enough to remember the old national inquirer? Is that still published? You know, on the front page, uh, lead ministry pastor is an alien. You know, it has these, these sensational things that are there. I don't even know if any of you know what that is now. I asked my assistant Tiffany, who's a lot younger than I am, what would that be like now? She, and she called it TMZ Christianity. TMZ Christianity, is that, you know what that is? These big sensational tabloid-like experiences. Uh, when, when our walk with God is this personal opportunity to trust him day by day by day. So Jesus turned to Philip and said, don't you know me? So, so today you may be like Philip and think that today with all the stuff that is happening in your life, what you really need is just one more miracle. And God is ready to do that. And we pray for that and we see that. But sometimes you have to do what Jesus did. And, you know, I do this so often when I've talked with people. Uh, He asked him, remember back, Philip, was there ever a time when when you saw that God was real and that I am God? And so, so many times I will ask you, is there ever a time where God's presence 
was deeply real to you. Remember that. So many share with me that it happened at a camp. Sometimes it's happened in this place, hasn't it? So when the difficulty comes, sometimes we simply need to remember that God is and that God is real and he knows what he's doing. He has a great plan and we have to simply trust him because he is worthy of trust. So this is my call to you today. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Trust Jesus. Well, they applied to all three men. They apply to me and they apply to you. So all our time goes. I'll just, I've got to at least just tell you this story. As I was preparing this message for you, it, it hit me that it, it's been just over 30 years um, since Chris and I lost our, I'll be very emotional about this, lost our second child. We would prayed for a miracle, uh, but only after she had lived for a number of days, uh, we were trying to figure out how to bring her home. Only the lower stem of her brain was functioning, trying to learn how to feed a child like this when she died in my arms. I, um, at that time, I was a new pastor. You can imagine how young. I must, 30 years, I must have been two or something. Um, <laughs> a young pastor. Um, and I was preaching through the Gospel of John. It was my first time I was doing that. And the text that I was working on for the next week was this one. So that night I couldn't sleep. So I took out this text and began to read it. Don't let your heart be troubled. I remember thinking, big words. Easier said than done, right? And then, oh, you believe in God? I do, I said. Trust me. I remember at that point just slapping my Bible <laughs> to, together and saying, that's it? Uh, like, like a parent turning to a little child saying, you can't see it, trust me. That's it? Uh, God, I have a PhD in theology already. <laughs> I've written profound papers on handling suffering. And, and, and like a child, just trust me, that, that's, that's it? And, and essentially, that, that is it. That's why this message, that is it. So here I am, 30, I, I remember that night, just getting down on my knees and saying, Lord, I don't see it. I cannot understand why a child dies, but I will trust you. I know that you are good. I will trust you. So here I am, brothers and sisters, 30 years later, and, and I found God to be faithful. I still don't fully understand things like this, but I know that God knows. He knows what he is doing. And I, I hope you know, too, that I'm here as a pastor saying these things, and it's not simply because the pastor should, and I need a job. I do need a job, Chris. <laughs> I really do. So, what happened to that Kleenex? Oh, there it is. I got it. I got it here. Um, but I have found this to be real. And I have found God to be trustworthy. So this, this is my call to you. Uh, to trust him, whatever you, that there, there's something more that he is doing than you can see. And Jesus tells us why in those profound verses 2 and following. He says, listen, in my father's house, don't worry about this. In my father's house, there's a lot of room. 
Now, a lot of people, especially if you've been to the Bible, at the church as long as I have, have read the older version that says, in my father's house there are many mansions. Do you know that one? And the idea that we get to, is from that, that, oh yeah, for the really good Christians, that when we get to heaven, some of us are going to get sort of an oceanside villa at, in La Jolla, and the rest of us are going to get a, shock, a shack by the dump somewhere. But you know that's not what he's saying, don't you? He's saying, listen, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're his children. And, and God is our father. And in our father's home, there's lots of room. There's a place for you, but you can't go there unless I go and prepare a place for you. Unless I provide forgiveness for your sins so you can be with our holy and everlasting father. So that's the basic message that is here. It's simply this, that Jesus knows what he's doing, even though you may not. He knows what is happening, even in times of loss. He he has a plan for what is taking place. And and really, as Paul would eventually see, it is a plan that is for our good and our remaking. And our responsibility in those times when we don't understand is to trust him. And as we trust him, to wait on him. And as we wait on him, to be faithful to him. And I'll tell you, I know this is hard. uh, Because in this imperfect world, there is sorrow. And I always think about what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In this world, we have to know that there will always be sorrow. But for us as Christians, because we know the resurrected Jesus, it is a sorrow with a hope. In these more recent days of loss for me personally, I've just thought sorrow is real. Don't you sometimes feel it from your head to your toe? Every part of your being, you feel the depth of grief and sorrow. But I am here to tell you today that the hope is real too. God is there, never leaving you or forsaking you. And I pray that today, as you had never had before, that you would experience the truth of the presence of God that comes through trusting Jesus. So I'm going to leave you with the very words that Jesus left tying together both chapter 14 verse 1 and chapter 16 verse 33 whatever you're going through hear Jesus say to you do not let your heart be troubled you trust God trust me in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world And it is to his glory. Amen. Amen.